Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. So grateful for you all. So grateful to be a part of just this amazing uh, Sunday. Amen. The Lord is good. All the time. Yes. Um, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into service. Father God, thank you so much uh, for this day. God, thank you for life that we have, Lord, the life that we could celebrate, a new life in Christ, of, there of Carter and God of Elizabeth. And God, I just pray that you continue to do a mighty work in their lives and that you would speak to us today as we open, open up your word. God, open up our hearts and our minds to your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. If you're a guest with us, if it's your first time, or maybe you've been with us for a little bit and you haven't connected yet, um, in the back of the card, uh, in the back of the seats, you'll see some connect cards. We'd love to gather some information. Um, promise not to bombard you with, with a bunch of, of emails and everything, but we'd love to connect if you are desiring to connect. Um, or if, you, uh, if we're praying for you, please uh, fill out a prayer request um, and turn that in uh, as you leave today's service. But we're so grateful that you are here uh, next Sunday is homecoming. Yes. yes, next Sunday is homecoming. So things will look a little different. Um, we will have service in both uh, here in Crossover and also in the traditional sanctuary at the same time. It's going to start at 1030. Um, and so we'll have to get here a little bit earlier, but that means there'll be no 10 o'clock service. Uh, Sunday school, and there'll be no 845 service. So we'll have one combined service simultaneously happening at the same time. If that hurts your mind, it hurts mine too. So I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but I think Clark and others do. So relying on, on that. But it's going to be a great time, so I want to invite you out. Um, there's some information that you can, um, that you can pick up of, of what the church will provide, and then a covered dish or something for you um, that you could share, dessert or something yummy like that. We've been walking through the entirety of Scripture. We've been walking through um, from the beginning of Genesis, and we will end up in Revelation eventually, I promise. We will get there. But we've been walking through, and we've been having a really good time just looking at Scripture in its entirety and as a whole um, in, in a large view. And um, you can see that, that the picture up there of one big story. We see creation at the beginning. We see the fall not shortly after that. Um, we see the promises of the Messiah, of the atoning sacrifice, um, of, the, of, of, the, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And recently, we got to celebrate the life of Christ in the Gospels. And last week, um, we got to celebrate uh, His life alive, right? We got, we got to celebrate Him not just in His death, um, but in His resurrected body, a physical resurrected body and how he appeared uh, to individuals along the way and appeared to the multitude and they got to commune with him. They got to eat with him. They got to spend time in his presence and, and be with him in the gospels. And uh, today kicks off a new series called Spirit and Truth. And so uh, we are going to look at where we are in the big story. And where we are in the big story of scripture is, is Acts and it's the mission and I'm going to give you the point now. I'm going to give you the point right now from the beginning of the point that we want to make throughout today's sermon. And the point that we want to make is that we are a people created 
for the mission. We are people created for the mission. So not only are they there in Acts and we are there in the reading of the scriptures, but we find ourselves here today in the mission. We are people created for the mission. But you know what? As I was continuing to study and to lean into the word of God and to pray about this, um, there were some questions that, that came to my mind that I hear often at, in student ministry. Questions like, what is my purpose? What is God's will for my life? You know, what, what does God want me to do? Where, where's my identity? Th those kind of things is how do I know what God wants um, for my life? And what, what should I be doing? And I believe we're going to find the answer in the text today. Now, I love the way the Lord works, okay? On Wednesday, we were in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, on Wednesday, we were looking at scripture about not being anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be stressed. On Thursday, I get a call from Pastor Jason. He's not feeling well. So he's like, hey, instead of sharing Jesus, why don't you just share this Sunday? And I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, so now I've got to apply what I was just teaching on Wednesday today. So, so I usually ask him, hey, can I have like two weeks buffer notice just so I can prepare? You know, I can kind of space things out. I can take my time. I can, I can read, prepare. And the Lord is so good that way, right? He's like, wait, this, that message on Wednesday wasn't for them. That was for you, as it always is. Anytime that we teach, the word is for us. And then also, it's for both of us. But I love the way the Lord works. So uh, so grateful for your patience and grateful for the, um, the equipping work of God. And that if he can speak out of a donkey, I believe maybe he can speak out of me. So, so what is the purpose of our life? What, what, what does God want from us as individuals? What does he want from us uh, corporately as, as a body of believers? And I believe we're going to see that here in Acts chapter 2. But let's get a little bit of framework um, before digging in to Acts chapter 2. So Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. We celebrated Easter last week. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. The, the, the cross is stained with blood, but our Savior is alive. And we have great hope that we too will be alive with him one day forever in his perfect eternal heaven. All right. And so we see that, that Christ, um, and that, that God he takes burdened hearts and he turns them into burning hearts is what we lear learned last week from Pastor Jason. But not only that, but I believe what we'll see today is he also turns those burdened, heart, bur burdened hearts into burning hearts and he turns them into boldened hearts. That we are, have a spirit of boldness, not of timidity, but of boldness. And we're going to see that. And so the framework of, of Acts, right? Luke is, is to be known as the author. Um, he was not one of the original 12 disciples. And so a lot of the information that he's getting, he's, he's gaining facts and information from those that followed along the life of Christ, followed with Christ, and did life with Christ closely. And so we see that there's, there's much uh, historical evidence here as we're reading through the book of Acts, that this is a, a historical genre for our understanding, um, some for our entertaining, but some to be, most to be very informative of us, of how the church began, how the church was started, and for the accuracy of scripture. We see the purpose of historical writings, those three concepts there. And in Acts 1, Jesus, he, he's gathered with them. He's speaking to them. He's letting them know that, hey, I'm about to leave, um, but you guys need to stay here. Um, and, and he's been with them for about 40 days since his resurrection. And he spent time with them. 
And he said, you're going to have the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. One of the key verses is Acts 1.8, I believe, for us to read. And it says, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're there. They're gazed, and they're watching him. A cloud receives them, and their eyes are fixed on there. And, and thanks be to God, and angels were sent to, to snap them out of it. Because they were, it was this, this term, like they were just stuck, and then in this moment of just staring. You know, they, they saw him be received, and now, now where is he? Is he going to pop back up in another room? Is he going to pop up behind the tree? Like where? They, they've seen him appear in, in, in locked rooms and doors and walk through, right, into their presence. And so they're wondering... But an angel says, no, <laughs> what did he tell you to do? Go, right, go and wait. And so they're in Jerusalem, they're waiting. They're told to wait there in Jerusalem. We, we, we read that there's about 120 men and women that are gathered there, devoted um, to prayer and just waiting on the Lord. Now, isn't that not sometimes one of the hardest things to do, to wait? <laughs> Especially when you've been promised something so good and it seems so marvelous and spectacular, Right? But yet we are called to wait. And so there they are waiting. And we're going to find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. So let's stand for the reading of God's word if you're able. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowds came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, are not all of these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them from our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Amalites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and Phygeria and Pamphylia and Egypt and the districts of Libya and Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Let's pray. Lord, your word, Lord, is what we want to hear from. And I pray that I would decrease and you would increase, Lord. We would hear from you and your truth and that your truth, God, would bring excitement we would fall on us afresh and anew, and Lord, that we would hear from you, and we would exalt you and worship you and you alone. We love you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so we see here the promises of, of Ezekiel 36, of John 14, John 15, John 16, that there would be a helper, there would be a Holy Spirit, right? The helper would, would be there, would be provided. And after a time of waiting, and after a time that Christ has left, the Holy Spirit is there and shows up on scene, right? There for the body of believers. And we see some great things that are happening and great things that will continue to happen through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't help but think of Tower of Babel as I read these scriptures. 
I can't help but think of the Tower of Babel where they were of one language and they were of of one tongue, right? But yet the Lord disrupted all that. The Lord caused them to be of many tongues and many languages, right? Because they were coming together as one, but yet they were disobedient to the the will of God, to to what God had told them to do, to to be dispersed, to, to inhabit all the earth to be fruitful and multiply, but yet they were working together for a selfish gain. They were working together for a common goal, but against God's plan and God's design. But yet now we see God do something greater. We see him do something beautiful with many tongues, bringing them together and bringing unity. For then the gospel to go forth to many nations, for it to be uh, fulfilled of the Acts 1-8, right? That they would go out into all the world, Jerusalem and, and Judea and, and to go out into all the world. And we see something, something beautiful happening there. And then there's that question in, in verse 12. What does this mean? You know, I, I believe it's, it's, it's very relevant even to the question of what students, like, what, what does this mean? I, I see and I hear of these things and I'm listening to the teachings of God. And what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? What does it mean? And I, I'm, I'm grateful for opportunities where I've been questioned, right, where people have questioned my faith or my beliefs and say, you know, what, what do you mean by that? Or, or even questioning, you know, um, my beliefs of, of my salvation when I was growing up. And it was questioned of me where I had to reason. But I'm also grateful that they didn't give an answer of their thoughts or their opinions. Instead, we opened the word of God, right? And we got to see what the word of God says. And we see that in the life of Peter as, as he is emboldened by the Holy Spirit. This is the same Peter that denied Christ three times that the little slave girl, when asked him, hey, aren't you one of them? He, he crumbled under that kind of pressure and then denied Christ again and again for the third time. But now we see a changed Peter. Now we see a Peter that when the multitudes are there, devout Jews from other areas, and there's a great crowd, that he stands up and boldly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he, he, he starts with, with the prophet Joel, and then we see him continuing to go through to, um, to the Psalms and through David. But we see him say something. I believe we need to, we need to point out this scripture of Acts 2, verse 21. And it says, and it shall be everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? So what shall we do? What does this mean? What are these teachings? These teachings, and let's just make sure that we all understand this. Anytime the word of God is taught, anytime we see God and his teachings, anytime that we are under the word of God, whether we're reading it or whether others are reading it, it always demands a response. The word of God always demands a response. And so we see here that, that he, he, he is quoting from, from the prophet of Joel, and he tells them, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because Christ is being exalted here in this sermon that Peter is preaching. And he moves from Joel, and he goes into David and continues in quoting uh, the scriptures about David, all pointing to Christ, all pointing to this Jesus that you crucified, this Jesus that died, this Jesus who is alive. And here we see all throughout this sermon that Christ is being magnified and being lifted up and being exalted here. And then I want 
to get to the, to, the, to the main verses that I want us to land on today that I believe we'll find the answer to a lot of those questions that we opened with, to understanding the meaning and the purpose of our life in Christ and what God called us to individually and to corporately. And so we, we start in verse 37. It says, And now when they had heard this, they were pierced to their hearts, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and of all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from the perverse generation. Man, I, I just see Carter's, Carter's testimony here in these scriptures. Amen? Do you not see? That's awesome, buddy. Praise God. So good. And with many other words, solemnly testifying and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their possessions, selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all, and anyone might, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking of the bread from house to house, they were together, they, took to, they were taking together their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those that were being saved. Man, what a, a stirring picture of what a life surrendered to God, empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit can do. What a picture of, of, of a body of believers who are sold out for one cause and one purpose. What God can do through them. And it's, it's encouraging and it's challenging and it's exciting all at the same time when you read those scriptures. And I believe, like I said, we're going to find the answer to those questions of, of, of what does God want from me? You know, what is, is my purpose in my life? What, 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 is this, what is God calling me to? What is the will of God for, for my life? And, you know, as I was thinking of those questions, there was another question and another thought process that kind of popped into my head. And it said, hey, as parents, as a church, as teachers, as disciple makers, as grandparents, are we cultivating a life where those questions can be asked? Are we cultivating gospel conversations around the dinner table as, as we go um, in drive time, as we're laying down and put, are we cultivating, hey, this is your purpose. This is God's design for you. Um, do you have any questions about your day? Like just simple questions that help to promote gospel conversations of what, 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 what's going on in your life. And here's some, some truth of scripture. Here's, here's your identity. Here's God's design. Here's how God has, has designed things to, to flourish in your life. And it's gonna be hard. It's, there's gonna be struggles. But do we cultivate those kind of conversations and, 
and an opportunity for our kids to ponder and to wonder and to question these things. Um, and I believe we should. And I hope and I pray that as we read the word of God, that, that, that the word of God will, will challenge us to continue to do so, will challenge us and equip us to be able to help teach and cultivate those things. But the life of, of a follower of Christ, our identity, our purpose, uh, individually and corporately, I believe we're going to see here in these verses. And the first point that I want us to make, the first thing I want us to see is that it is the word of God that is essential. For us to understand our purpose, for us to understand who we are, what's God's plan for my life, we must understand the word of God. And not only that, but we must continually devote ourselves, right, to the word of God, to the reading of God's word. It says here to the apostles' teachings. And what would the apostles have been teaching? They would have been teaching of the, of the Old Testament. They would have been teaching of the teachings of Jesus Christ and what they learn and what they have seen. And we must understand and obey the word of God. And I believe there's a, direct, there's a direct connection between our consistency in the word of God and our quality of our Christian walk. There's a direct consistency in how much time we spend in the word of God and, and, and our quality of our Christian walk. And so that, that is key and foundational Right? The next thing that we see in verse 42 is we see the fellowship. So we see that it was the, the breaking of bread. Excuse me. We see that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostle teachings and then to the fellowship. Now, what I didn't say, I didn't say the fellowship hall. Okay? It is not the fellowship hall that is fellowship, uh, even though that can be to a point. But, but greater is the fellowship that, that we are hearing from and that we see here in Scripture. Many times throughout Scriptures, we see the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of, of, of Jesus Christ, of God the Father. And it's this intimacy. It's this companionship. It's, it's, it's a fellowship that comes from small groups. It doesn't come from rows or pews or lines, but it comes from circles. Like Christ had his inner three circles. There's this intimacy and this fellowship of companionship, relationship that is shared over tears, over being raw and being real of what we're struggling with. What's going on in our life? What, 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 are we, what are we dealing with? What trials are we facing? You know, being vulnerable, being our hearts rendered, our open and torn and, and, and just with trusted believers in Christ. With trusted believers, a small group, maybe one. I think if you got one, you know, that's awesome. If you got two or three, that's great. But, but you can't have fellowship that it's talking about in scripture in a group this large. But we are created, and it's been designed for us to have that kind of fellowship, an intimacy of understanding, right, each other's weaknesses and how do we pray and come alongside one another in the trials and in the struggles of life. Um, there's a couple quotes from Spurgeon on this, and I believe uh, will help maybe us paint an even better picture. It says, some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude. But believers are not compared to bears and lions and other animals that wander alone. Those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect, that they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. And then the next part, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in, since union is strength. He does his best to promote separation. You know, and I think that's, that's a challenge for us. 
You know, that was something beautiful when, when I had the opportunity to go to Africa. Miss Kathy Daniels, um, the IMB missionary there, she, one thing that the wisdom that, that she gave to me was, hey, don't feel sorry for those people. It's all they know. This is what they have. Don't feel sorry for them. And as I spent time over there, I was feeling sorry for, for us, for my people. I was feeling sorry for America. We can burn bridges. We can cut ties and we are good. We can continue to function with life. We, we can say good riddance and forget you and, and clean our hands. They can't. Each and every one of them, right? They need their tribe. They might think something, but they don't act upon it because I need these people to survive. In the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, we need each other to survive. We need each other. And that's how God designed it. That's how God calls us to this fellowship, right? The next we see in verse 42. So not only was it um, the prayer or the God's word and, and to the fellowship, but we see in verse 42, right, to worship. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. Excuse me. Verse 42. Yes, 42. Breaking of bread into prayer. And so we see this, this corporate time of prayer, of breaking of bread, of remembering uh, the, the communion, remembering the Lord's Supper, taking part of that, but, but corporately praying and, and testifying and being together with each other and worshiping through song and through giving. But this worship is something that we need. And, and there is a direct connection between our consistency, worshiping with a body of believers, right? In Hebrews, it says, right, don't forsake that. Don't forsake the, the, the gathering together of such a great cloud of witnesses. Don't forsake coming together with them. Um, because it is, there, there's a direct connection between the way that we worship corporately as well and what that does for us as a body of believers to be encouraged as we hear about testimonies, we hear about this is my story and we hear and we see that we're just a bunch of broken people in this broken world serving an amazing God. And we're in this together, you know, and we get to see that and, and that can't, it, there's something different. I, I don't know if you guys experienced it during COVID, right? We're worshiping. Sometimes it was out, out, outside with a trailer and, and the lawn chairs, and sometimes it was, it was through the screen, but there was something different, you know? That, that, that affection that, to have to be with each other, there was something beautiful when we got to come back, when it, when it was time to reopen and come back together. Um, something was missing when we, when we were separated, but there's a direct connection between your consistency in worship and the quality of your Christian life, right? Of understanding your purpose in life, of understanding who and what has God called you to? What is his will and his purpose for your life? And in verse 47, we see, we see this next point here is, is through the praise. It says, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. With who? All people. Right? It wasn't just the, the, the believers, but all people were impacted because they were there. All people experienced the goodness of God, whether they, whether they received the gospel of Jesus Christ or they rejected it, there was no denying that, hey, they found favor in their sight because they were there. Their lives were impacted for the better. I, 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 it was such a beautiful time when I was able to come here full time I didn't realize just what a body of believers that worship here. 
I remember just kind of being in awe, like, you guys do that and that? And like people like, that came into the church and then hearing about, oh, well, this, this project's going on over here. Or they're helping them out with this over here. They're, they're doing these and they're, they're serving over. And it was just mind-blowing just to see what the Lord was doing with such a faithful body of believers here. And it was exciting and it was contagious. And it was challenging for me to continue to do more. But I also want us to remember we're not there yet. Though there may be good things happening and us on the mission, obedient to God's command, it's not, we're not done. There's always more. There's more that we can be doing. There's more that we can do. And as I was thinking about this point here, there's a statement that, that I, I wrote down and I believe um, is true. And I believe we see this in scripture. The church does not become the church until, until there's radical obedience in the world. Until we start living it out the side of these walls, we are not the church. Right? This is a worship service. This is a prayer service, but we are not the church. God has created a body of believers to live out the gospel every day of our lives. We are not the church until it is out there. I can preach this message here. You can sit under Sunday school. You can come to a Wednesday night small group. You can come to a D group. But we are not the church if it's not actively lived out and displayed in this world. The church is not the church. If they were to stay in that upper room, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, prophesy and talk about all these great things, but stay in that upper room, the church would never have been born. But we see boldness. We see a fire, right? And we see a, a, the gospel being going, going out to the world, to us. But there's still work to be done. Did you know 81% of the world's non-Christians do not personally know a Christian? 81% of the world that are living in darkness, separated eternally from a holy God, they don't know, personally know a Christian. Man, the work is not done. What do we say our point is? We are people created for the mission. Though we may be getting some things right, there's still so much to do. And the work is not done. It is not done Now we see some beautiful results that happen, right? When we, when we are surrounded around the word of God, when we are, are in intimate fellowship and worship corporately together and we're on mission actively obeying and serving our amazing God, right? We see what happens in verse 43 and 42. And everyone kept feeling the sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. There was a beautiful unity that happened, right? With a bunch of, of nobodies, with a bunch of fishermen and uneducated individuals, right? They all came together and they were united and they, and they were together and they were emboldened, right? And empowered to be bold and, and, and to share the works of, of Christ. And we see that Christ brought this beautiful unity to them, that the Holy Spirit, right, brought them together. And we see it's the work of the Holy Spirit that unites them and brings them together and fuels them for the mission. 
And we see the results, right? 3,000 added to their, in, in Acts 4.4, 4, we're going to see that it goes from 3,000 to 5,000. And the work of the Holy Spirit in faithful, obedient lives, surrendered to him, what the Lord will do. But now I also want us to beware and be careful. This is not like this magical formula for us. It's not like, okay, we have the word of God. We teach, we, we, we lift that up really high and we have a high view of the word of God, which we do, but that's not, we don't, we, this isn't a formula where we take the word of God. We make sure everyone's in a discipling group, right? Then we make sure everyone's coming to church or coming to Sunday school and, and worshiping corporately and praying corporately. And then everyone's on mission. And then all of a sudden we're going to be, you know, in the will of God and in the promises and the purposes of God. That's not the correct order. It starts with a life surrendered to Christ. It starts with us understanding the bad news that we are all eternally separated, that our righteousness is filthy rags, that there's no one righteous, no, not one. And what we deserve is punishment and death, but then the good news of Christ. But God, right, rich in mercy, right, but that we can have life eternal, but he sent his one and only son to make payment, to die in our place so that we would have life and have it abundantly. And that we are called to respond to that. And after the proper response by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ of our Lord and Savior, right? Then we radically obey God. After we understand there's no righteousness in me but the Christ in me. So I want to, I want to, I want to exalt him and display him everywhere I go. Because Jesus Christ is precious and good. Yeah. He is precious. Amen. Man, he is precious. And when we understand the treasure that we have, we live it out for his glory and for his good. And so have you responded to the good news? You know, I've got two questions, I've got some application, and then I'm closing. But I believe first, one, have you responded to the good news of Jesus Christ? I'm not saying do you understand intellectually and understand Christ died for your sins, and you understand that you're a sinner and you need salvation, but has it ever went from, your, from a head knowledge to a heart transformation? Has it ever went from here to here where you understand your sin separates you from God, and you you need to surrender your life to him, that he calls you to repent, to turn from your old ways, to surrender your life to him, and to turn and trust and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Not Jesus plus something, but Jesus and Jesus alone. 19 years of my life, that, that I was in a workspace salvation. 19 years of my life, I was working in the church. I was part of the church, and I, I was doing these things that I thought were good and, and praying and reading occasionally, but, you know, and they, that's where I was questioned on a mission trip. Hey, are you going to heaven? And I'm like, yeah. Talked about me, 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 I, I, I. I serve, I do, I do this, I know Jesus, I, you know. And I'm like, well, that's not, that's not how it works. Uh, so what, what do you mean? <laughs> We read through the scriptures. We read through Romans. And I realized it's not me, but Christ. Right? And my understanding of a need of a Savior. The Lord re revealed to me my wickedness, my sin. And my response was only by faith, trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. And have you responded to the good news of Jesus Christ?
for your salvation? That's where it begins. And then the second question. I want to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 30. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a, good, su- such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Are there areas in your life that grieve the Holy Spirit? Listen, we're, none of us are perfect, right? We all mess up and we all fail. But are there things in your lives that ought not to be? When you filter your life through the scripture, not by your neighbor, not by your friends, but when you filter your life through the scripture, are there things that ought not to be? And if there are, Surrender them to the Lord. Repent of those things and run to God. Run, cling to his word, cling to his promises, cling to his grace. Don't beat yourself up over it, right? He's not there to shame you or condemn you, but just come back home. Receive his grace and his forgiveness and live in love in such a beautiful way that others see Christ living in you and through you. And so here are the applications, as I believe we see in the scriptures that we have read today and in the first few books, in the first two books of Acts. One, our challenge is to trust God's spirit for the power to serve him. Listen, I was given just a couple days up here and I never want to be up here by my own. I never want to be up. And I I don't want you to hear from me. I don't want your students and student ministry to to fall in love with me and just think I'm the greatest thing. I want them to fall in love with Christ. And we must trust. If we want our children to fall in love with Christ, if we want our families, right, we need to understand that if we are doing this on our own, man, we're going to mess it up. We do. But let us trust God's spirit for the power to serve him. Proclaim Christ's resurrection at every opportunity, always being ready, right? Always being ready to give a defense for the hope that we have in Christ. At every opportunity, ready to share Christ, Christ resurrected, Christ alive. Understand how the Old and the New Testament fit together in such a beautiful way. Understand how how those things fit together Man, participate with other believers in biblical behavior. Participate with other believers on this mission. You're not created to do this alone. And it's a lot more fun when we do it together, right? right. Amen. Amen. And enjoy the Christian faith, right? This is a journey. It is a small journey. It is a short journey. And enjoy it in the storms, in the struggles. You can have peace. You can have joy. You can enjoy it when our eyes are fixed on Christ, when our eyes are fixed on the eternal, the things to come. We can enjoy this Christian walk, knowing that it's just temporary. These sufferings, these trials, and yes, they hurt. And yes, right, they're painful. But we can enjoy it, knowing that these trials, right, lead to endurance, and there's a greater prize that awaits us. Thanks be to God, there's a greater prize that awaits us. And so as the band comes up, I just pray that you respond to the Holy Spirit. 
You respond to what the Lord is doing in and through your life. Is it surrendering in, in, in faith, trusting in Jesus Christ with all of your heart? Is it baptism? We will go back in the water. But I just pray that you will respond to the God. You will respond to God and his word and what he is doing in and through your life. So let's stand and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day and for life. God, we thank you for the testimony and God, just a celebration of life in you through baptism. God, we thank you for the reading of your word. God, we thank you for your word, which is life and that transforms us from the inside out, God. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to be the church. God, that we would understand our identity and our purpose, God, to love you. God, to love your word and your truth, God, to, to fellowship with one another, God, and to proclaim your goodness until you return, until you call us home. So, God, I pray that you would continue to draw us to you. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.